Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. So we had walked about a quarter of a mile into the woods between the road and the river. And in a moment, Evelyn was then frozen mid-stride. She's whispering back over her shoulder to me, shh, quiet, Grandma. So I followed her lead. I remained as still as possible. The leaves were rustling in the trees. The leaves were rustling on the ground. There was a lot of rustling, but I wasn't rustling. And then Evelyn started to move ever so slowly. Imagine a flamingo was taking off a shoe. So she lifted up her right foot to her right hand, never moving like the whole left side of her body. She took off her shoe. And then, again, like a flamingo putting that leg down and lifting up the other, she did the same with the left, whispering to me, take off your shoes. Now, to be fair, I'm not 10. And my shoes are not slip-ons. And I'm not as agile as Evelyn. So before following her insistence that I take off my shoes, silent in the woods, I asked, why? (laughs) I asked it quietly in a whisper, why? And she turned to look at me square in the eye. And, And I could say to you, she said to me, With the confidence of an Old Testament prophet, (laughs) we are standing on holy ground. Now, I had been scanning. I I had been scanning the woods because I imagined that Evelyn froze mid-stride and entered into this silent moment because she had seen a creature that delighted her heart. So I had been scanning the woods for said creature that had captured her attention. I'd been expecting to see a deer or a fox or a rabbit or even a squirrel. I had scanned the trees for signs of an owl or a hawk, some of her favorites. What I had not realized, and I confess I hadn't even imagined, was that Evelyn had been moved by the moment itself. She sensed the presence of God right there on that spot in that moment, and she stopped in her tracks. And she remained perfectly still and as quiet as she could be, taking it in. And then she felt led to take off her shoes because that's what she knows Moses did at the burning bush. My friend, every moment is holy. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Every task you do today, every task on your to-do list today can be a holy moment. 
every errand, every step along the way, every dish washed, every nose wiped, every bill paid, every letter sealed, every meeting scheduled, every appointment kept, every floor swept, every bed made, every prayer prayed, every song sung or ladder climbed, every brush stroke of the paint on the wall or every diaper changed, every bag of trash carried out. Shh, quiet. Take off your shoes. In every moment, God is present. And in that, there is a holy opportunity. That's what God brought to mind as I read today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day from Colossians 3. Verses 23 and 24, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord, whatever you do. I think we trip over the word work. So the way that it is is phrased, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. I think we trip over the word work. So let's just take it out for a moment. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, wholeheartedly. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, in the Lord's presence, alongside the Lord, for the Lord. Do it with him and for him and unto him. So as I prepared to have this conversation with you today, I did it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord, because it is the Lord Christ we are serving today. So yes, there are people sitting in those chairs or in those cars or in that bed, but the person you are serving is Christ. That is an image bearer of the living God sitting in that chair or in that car or in that seat or in that bed, and that is who you are serving. And it doesn't matter if they don't know who they are. It doesn't matter if they're gracious, arrogant, grateful, or rude. I'm going to treat them as I would treat the Lord Jesus if he were standing there or sitting there or lying there in need of a cup of cold water or in need of a friend, in need of aid that I could render or something out of my own resources I could provide. So we tend to think of this verse from Colossians as applying to work, as in the work we do as a job for which we get paid. But Paul has all work in mind here. Groceries and housekeeping and childcare and mowing the grass and setting the table and preparing the meal and tending to the needs of a neighbor and visiting old people and the totally gross stuff that we all have to do because we're adults and adults have to do gross things from time to time because that's how the world works. All of it, whatever you do, even the gross stuff. Work at it with all your heart as unto the Lord. So let me ask you, have you been working half-heartedly? Have you, have you been doing it but haven't really been doing it with a joyful spirit? Have you checked out at work early in your heart or in your mind? Are you getting paid for a day but really only working half the time? Is that honoring to God? I am certain that whatever you're employed to do today, you're not getting paid enough to do it, right? <laughs> I mean, Right? But every time you do something without getting paid in the here and now, or every time you do something and you get paid, but, you know, not what you know it's worth, just know this, you're storing up rewards in a place where it counts with the one who's ultimately counting. So when no one else sees how you're working, work with all your heart. 
Don't work half-heartedly because God sees. So today, along with the Apostle Paul, let's remember that every moment is holy. Let's be quiet. Let's take off our shoes. And let's do our work as unto the Lord with a whole heart. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and we're going to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. That's next, here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, I want to look at a story with you this morning. So, um, I mean, you know, there's each one of us like has a particular skill set, like things that we're good at. Some of those are cultivated over time. Some of them are just like, hey, that's just something that I'm good at. And I don't really know how it all works. But I will tell you that one of the things that I am good at is seeing like beneath, behind, um, under, I don't know, inside of what's written on the page. So I am really good at reading between the lines and I am really good at sussing out um, the religious threads and then pulling on them, right? Like, and and sometimes until they give and sometimes until that wad of twine just gets even tighter. So I acknowledge that sometimes it's an unwinding and sometimes it's a, it's a greater winding. I, I, that's not well said, but I think you get the point. So, um, you and I both know I could choose from millions of headlines on a given day. And so the first sort of editorial judgment call that I make in putting the show together is what are we going to talk about? Because so sure, we could talk about the debates last night or we could talk about um, the war in Israel. And we will do that a little later in the program with a guest. Uh, but what what is the headline out there today that as Christians, maybe we should be paying attention to? Um, But the world may not be lifting it up as the primary story or the headline of the day. Well, there's this one that caught my attention at the Associated Press. Vatican steps closer to allowing transgender Catholics to be baptized. Now, the headline itself caught my attention, not just because it's expressly religious, which it is, but because you can't be a Catholic unless you're baptized. Like, the headline itself and the way that these individuals who um, are living as if, the, as if their biology is not reality, okay? So people who are described here as transgender, which I am going to describe as gender dysphoric. I'm going to describe them as people who's, um, who believe themselves to be something other than they actually are by God's created order. Um, So this is a person who is deeply and desperately confused about reality, described here as transgender, described in the headline as transgender Catholic, and yet not baptized. And let me just, let me just say for a moment, again, you can't be Catholic unless you've been baptized as a Catholic. And so what does this even mean? What is the meaning of this headline? People who present as quote-unquote transgender and people who also present as Catholic, but who to this point are not Catholic by the Catholic's own definition of Catholic, the Vatican is now uh, saying should in some cases be allowed to be baptized and, another note here, to serve as godparents. So I just want to unpack this for just a moment. There are very clear standards among U.S. Catholic bishops in in relationship to people who um, 
present as transgender or who want to enter some kind of gender transition. Um, The U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops rejects the concept of gender transition, which is why this headline has to use the term Vatican, because because many people reading the Associated Press are reading it in the context of American Catholicism, and this would make no sense to them. So, um, in this piece posted yesterday by the Vatican, um, there is this willingness to allow, quote, trans adults to be godfathers or godmothers under certain conditions and to be baptized under certain conditions. So when does a person become Catholic? That seems like a good question to ask. And just because a person says they're Catholic, are they Catholic? Like, I I mean, you know, the, the cradle Catholicism, is that person Catholic because they were raised in a Catholic home, even if they're not a practicing Catholic now? Like, do you you see the confusion, right? You see the challenge? And then what is baptism? And to whom is baptism offered as adults in the Roman Catholic Church? And what is the process by which a person would not only present to be baptized, but then be baptized? Um, And what happens in baptism according to the Catholic Church? And what does it mean for a sacrament to be applied by the Church um, in, in contradiction to its own teaching? Because baptism is a renunciation of the self, a renunciation of, um, of sin, and a turning to Christ in newness of life. It is a, a it is the turning of a person saying, I will no longer be who I have been in the past. And so if that is a quote-unquote trans person presenting, then they have to re- reject their transness. Like, it's, it, it's confusing and baffling to me that baptism is a standard that the Roman Catholic Church is willing to utterly pervert in order to satisfy the felt needs. Because again, this article says... These, quote, transgender Catholics, quote, feel excluded. So first of all, they are self-identifying as transgender, which is a deep, desperate confusion for which I have great sympathy. They also self-identify as Catholics, which they cannot be until and unless they become Catholic through baptism, which has not been extended to them. Um, and just because someone feels excluded doesn't mean we, we change the standards of entrance into the body of Christ. Like, that's not ours to change. You, do you see here how this headline might provide opportunity for you to reflect on the transgender crisis we are facing today? The crisis of understanding within the church and her standards, this one particularly in the Roman Catholic Church, but pick your variety of church, gives you the opportunity to talk about what is baptism, why would a person be baptized, what happens in baptism. Have you been baptized? This document goes on to say that, quote, trans adults, even if they have undergone gender transition surgery, could serve as godfathers or godmothers under certain conditions. This gives us an opportunity to ask, what is a godparent? 
What does that even mean? Why would we need such a thing? Why would we want such a thing? Who would qualify to be such a thing? It's interesting to me that, quote, the document maintained a ban on same-sex couples serving as godparents. Well, why would that be? Why would you continue to ban same-sex individuals, but you are going to now embrace transgender individuals? Why would one standard be maintained and yet another standard changed? What is the standard here? Now, this is particularly curious to me. The standard um, that the document from the Vatican lifts up in terms of when a transgender individual could be baptized, listen to this. If it does not cause scandal or disorientation among other Catholics, a transgender person may receive baptism under the same conditions as other faithful. Pause right there. The standard of whether or not an individual is going to be baptized is a question of whether or not it's going to cause scandal or disorientation for someone else? That, that is potentially the most ludicrous thing I have ever heard in terms of a church standard for something. And so this is how you critically read a headline. Did the headline catch my attention? Yes. Did the subhead catch my attention? Yes. Does it ask me, does it draw me into a conversation to ask a whole lot of questions? Yes. Might it present opportunities for conversations today with someone else? You betcha. We're going to continue our conversation here together on Mornings with Carmen. We're going to talk about the Panda Express. Mm-hmm. Have you been to Panda Express? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not that Panda Express. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up, they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Again, uh, we get to choose which headlines we spend time talking about today and what we lift up uh, in our conversations. And so here's one for you. The National Zoo, the Smithsonian uh, Zoo in Washington, D.C., um, had three celebrity pandas up until yesterday. So this whole story, um, as I uh, as I share it with you, um, this whole story is evidence that we do not think animals are humans. That's my... <laughs> That's what I'm going to offer you as my worldview take on on the headline related to the pandas being um, 
called back to China. Recalled. This was like a this is like a recall. They have basically recalled their pandas. And some of you would say, well, the contract for the panda, quote, exhibit was set to expire uh, on December the 7th, I think. And so, you know, the pandas have gone home just like a month early. Well, here's the thing. It's been renewed over and over and over again. So the fact that the contract wasn't renewed for the pandas to remain at this incredible um, facility designed for them and to meet all their needs and to celebrate them um, in Washington, D.C., instead, you know, crated up and shipped back to China, where I have to presume they will not have as great a life as they had here. Right now, my maybe that's my Americanism talking there, but surely the pandas were happier in America than they will be in China. So, I mean, couldn't somebody make an asylum claim for them? I mean, they were basically deported. Okay, you see, you see here how a person who confuses animals with people um, could get themselves all worked up. In fact, I could get all worked up if you if you really pressed the point on this. There was a Panda Express yesterday. FedEx painted a uh, an airship. Um, I probably even have the. I could probably even tell you what kind of airplane it was. I know it was. I know it's going to be a nineteen hour flight. Um, they were going to refuel in um, in Anchorage. Yes, the FedEx Panda Express was uh, waiting at Dulles International Airport in Virginia, a specially outfitted Boeing seven 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 F. Yes. So there you go. Um, the panda lovers have been apparently dreading this day. The three giant pandas and their cub, which just by the way, three pandas can't have a cub. <laughs> I'm just saying there's so much here from a worldview perspective that you could um, pull the threads of. You could um, you could have a conversation here about international diplomacy because the zoo's exchange agreement with the child uh, with the China Wildlife Conservation Association um, should have been renewed, but negotiations um, fell apart. Why? Well, there's a lot of diplomatic tension right now uh, between Beijing and a number of Western governments, and so Beijing has been withdrawing its great pandas from zoos around the world, not just here in America, but across Europe. The San Diego Zoo had to return its pandas in 2019. Last year, the Memphis Zoo had to return its pandas. And then the, um, the Smithsonian had to ship its pandas back to China yesterday. So they're only, the only giant pandas left in the United States of America are at the Atlanta Zoo, and that loan agreement expires next year. So just to be clear, the pandas are owned by China. They're China's pandas. They are exhibited in the U.S., a lot like art, like they're on loan. So what would Peter Singer say about that? He is the quote-unquote ethicist, I use that term very loosely, um, based at Princeton, who um, believes animals are people, argues that animals are people, argues for animal liberation. He's been arguing it for 50 years. Um, he uh, he thinks that there we are speciest, and so he argues not only for the ethical treatment of people but the ethical treatment of animals as people. He believes that animal rights are human rights. Can you imagine how you might enter into a worldview conversation today using the giant pandas as an example? 
Our treatment of them is evidence that we don't think animals are people. If we did, somebody would be making an asylum claim for the giant pandas. Now, you can, of course, watch the best of the panda cam forever and ever on YouTube. Um, if you missed them in real life uh, in the National Zoo. Tomorrow is Veterans Day. We're going to talk about that a little later in the program, but you should mark your calendar in case you have forgotten. Um, I have, obviously, a real heart for veterans, not just because. I have a son, Jonathan, who spent two tours uh, as a Marine in Afghanistan. But because I value um, the freedoms that I enjoy as an American, and I appreciate the willingness of the United States to extend liberty to other people. And so um, I'm... I'm aware of the fact that U.S. military is on heightened alert around the world. I'm aware of the fact that um, our U.S. military has been under open attack in the Middle East. Um, And I am very aware that we are being drawn in to conflicts um, around the globe. And so on Veterans Day, I am aware that not only those who have served in the past um, are people to whom I owe my freedoms, the the freedoms that I enjoy, um, even this freedom to speak to you right now over these airwaves, but that there will be others called to serve as well. And I'm so grateful and thankful for every person who is willing to put themselves forward, um, not only in defense of this country, but to advance the cause of freedom around the world. So I'm mindful of that today as well. Thanksgiving is also coming up. So I don't know if you have thought about um, the turkey and the sides. I don't know if you have a favorite side. You have a favorite side item. Apparently, macaroni and cheese has um, burst its way forward um, onto the onto the Thanksgiving table in ways that are, frankly, quite surprising to me because macaroni and cheese is not a Thanksgiving side item in my family. Um, What are your Thanksgiving side items? I would like for you to begin sending me that information on the text line, 877-933-2484. Sausage, dressing, also known as stuffing, but we don't put it in the bird, and therefore we call it dressing. Um, That is big at my house. Corn, what we call corn scuffle. (laughs) It's actually like a corn uh, souffle. Some of you would call it corn pudding. Um, Let's see, sweet potatoes, uh, cranberry Salad, um, oh, obviously mashed potatoes and gravy. Green beans, we don't do the green bean casserole thing, but we do green beans. Rolls, what else? What are your side items? And then, you know, maybe uh, on a later day, closer to Thanksgiving, we'll talk about what's going to be on your pie buffet. But let's talk today about side items. What's your favorite side? Hit me up on the text line, 877-933-2484. Leland Riken is going to join us next, and we're going to talk about a treasury of Thanksgiving. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Leland Riken is, um, well, he's a bit of an unusual character. He is the author of more than 50 books on biblical and literary topics. He is the literary editor of the ESV Bible. 
an emeritus professor of English at Wheaton College in Illinois, and he comes to us today with one of the most beautiful books um, I have ever beheld, A Treasury of Thanksgiving. It is illustrated poetry, prose, and praise. Leland Riken, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. This is a beautiful book. Yes, it is. I want to pay tribute to my editor for the visuals. She was not only an English major, but an art major, and it shows. Let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about the power of not only the written word, but let's talk about the power of visual media to move us. I mean, you know, specifically here in the in the direction of giving thanks or Thanksgiving, but even just more generally, the the power of the visual to move us. The uh, imagination is one of the means by which we uh, assimilate the truth. And we live in an image-oriented culture. Now, I'm also verbally oriented, as I know you are, nonetheless. Images are a way of expressing truth and moving us to the truth. And in our, for our topic today, moving us to Thanksgiving. What we see counts for a lot. Let's talk about um, let's talk about Thanksgiving. Obviously, you know the people of God give thanks throughout the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. We can highlight some of those, um, but maybe even just the practice of giving thanks. Um, maybe just talk about the act of Thanksgiving. I want to evoke my concept of a ladder of gratitude. It has five steps. It is very useful. It was an organizing framework. Here it is. Thanksgiving begins when we receive a benefit or favor. The second step is we recognize that we have received this. It registers with us. If we're not aware of having received a benefit, we're not going to be thankful for it. Now, the third step is we it dawns on us that this benefit or blessing came to us from a source. Gratitude, then, is feeling grateful toward this source but that yet does not attain Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, fifthly, comes when we express our gratitude to the source of this gift. Oh, that is so good. All right, so I've received a benefit. Um, I, it registers with me that I am in receipt of a benefit, and then it dawns on me that that benefit came from a source, and I feel grateful, but then there is the act, the actual expression of gratitude. And that is the giving thanks. That is the thanksgiving. Yes, I'll just add that my wife observed at that point, giving thanks is relational. It is expressed to someone and ultimately to God. Hmm. That is so good. Um, tell her we appreciate appreciate that note. Um, which I'll, I'll I think just that- add that at any point on this ladder, if we stop, we have not moved as far as we can. Mm. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, what comes immediately to mind are the 10 lepers whom Jesus healed and only one actually returned to give thanks. And Jesus was like, where are the other nine? Were they not healed as well? Um, they got off the ladder at some point. That very good insight. Incidentally, Charles Spurgeon preached a really great sem- uh, sermon, Where Are the Nine? And I excerpted that as one of my entries. Yes, which takes us into the book. So nice segue there. Um, talk with us about what is included in a treasury of Thanksgiving. I can only imagine that deciding 
what what you were going to limit here, what you were going to put in, because this this volume could be volumes and it could be enormous. So how did you make the selections um, that are included in Treasury of Thanksgiving and maybe describe some of the things that are in it for people who don't have it in their hands? Well, let me take you behind the scenes and surprise you. I came up with 40 good selections. I reread the book twice in preparation for this interview. I enjoyed every minute of it. There's not a duplicate in the whole book. That's how varied Thanksgiving is and ways of thinking about it. Every entry is unique. Nonetheless, having said that, this is a high-quality literary anthology, and I did not struggle to find 40 good entries, but 40 was the limit for the kind of entry that I want. I was um, very delighted by the range of genres that found their way into this anthology. It just alerted me the subject of Thanksgiving is more varied than we think it is. So that was a real reward for compiling the anthology. Would you, um, is there one that comes to mind if I were to ask you to share one? Is it is it a poem that comes to mind? Is it a story? Is it a psalm? Is there one that comes to mind um, just in my asking that you say, yeah, let's talk about that one? I'm going to, again, surprise you. I cannot choose one. I anticipated this question. <laughs> um, they're all fa- a favorite with me. I was just amazed when I reread the volume. Everyone had its own insight and edification and delight. But mm-hmm. if we're uh, looking for one, why not the first entry? It is the hymn, Now Thank We All Our God. Um The canon of standard Thanksgiving hymns that are sung in um, church services um, is not as large as we think. I myself speak of the five standard ones. Now, I did include more than five in the anthology, but I do believe that kind of the prototypical Thanksgiving text is, Now Thank We All Our God. It was written by a... um, um, pastor in Germany who lived through a terrible decade, he presided over 4,000 funerals during his stay. He arrived in the city of Ellenburg the year before the Thirty Years' War. He died the year after. And yet he is the one who has this exuberant, all-out call to thanksgiving. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices. And it just goes from there. Um, he can't contain himself regarding the gratitude he feels. So it's it's a particularly um, it, epitomizing text, I would say. But I say again, I read all the entries with equal delight. It won't surprise you that the Treasury of Thanksgiving, which is illustrated poetry, prose, and praise, it won't surprise you that in addition to hymns, there are psalms um, of Thanksgiving included in here. There are also excerpts from the Book of Common Prayer. I particularly enjoyed those. I thought that the entry on page 77 was um, was so much like what is happening today in, um, in the effort to acknowledge um, every moment holy and some, some written anthologies of, of prayers that have been written, you know, in a contemporary period of time that evoke the same spirit, like how in every moment, regardless of what's happening, for rain, for abundant provision, for deliverance from illness, for a mother's safe delivery of a child, 
um, at the communion service. Those are the entries on page 77 and 78 of A Treasury of Thanksgiving. But they reminded me of sort of this contemporary effort to regard every moment as holy and find reason in every moment to give God thanks. Not that we're necessarily giving thanks for what is happening, but we are giving thanks in the midst of what is happening. Amen. There are some wonderful... There are some wonderful female uh, poets in the anthology, let me just add. They, they had a really beautiful touch. You want to reflect on one of those? Um, the the, the uh, women that I included are little-known poets. Uh, I think of one who's, the, the author escapes me, but she praises God for the seemingly negative features of life. She she structures her poem around um, two-line units in, in each four-line stanza. I don't thank you for X, and she names something that we would think would be the best of the best, uh, a material blessing. But instead, she thanks God for what we would regard as an experience we might try to avoid, and yet she expresses thanks for that. Mm, so good. So good. There are um, readings and excerpts in this book from some very classical pieces of literature that you may not have thought to yourself, wow, there would be um, something for the treasury of Thanksgiving in Robinson Crusoe. But there is. Um, there might not be something you would you would say, you know, like immediately in your mind, oh, you know, that would be an opportunity to give thanks or um, a piece of literature to uh, to focus on um, in terms of Thanksgiving. And yet, there it is. Um, and so I do think there's a lot of surprise and delight here. I appreciated Martin Luther's rendering thanks to our maker. Um, I just think there are some wonderful classic reflections in here as well. Um, again, uh, in addition to passages of scripture and prayers from the Common Book of Prayer, just, just totally delightful. Again, we're talking with Leland Riken. It is a treasury of thanksgiving, illustrated poetry, prose, and praise. Do you have a favorite passage of scripture that comes to mind or that you turn to um, on Thanksgiving? Do you have a favorite hymn um, or song in your treasury? Maybe there's a piece of art that comes to mind when, um, when I just say um, thanksgiving. So in addition to what is going to be on your Thanksgiving table, what is, um, what's going to be in your Thanksgiving conversation? What are you going to weave into the conversation on that day that will evoke Thanksgiving to God? And maybe um, take a moment to consider where you are on this ladder of gratitude. Do you recognize that you have received a benefit? Has it registered as such? Has it dawned on you that that benefit came from a source and that that source is God? Do you feel grateful to God for that? And then have you expressed that gratitude? Have you actually taken the step of thanksgiving, that relational connection, giving thanks to God for the benefits, um, the blessings, the goodness that he has poured into your life? Um, We're going to continue our conversation with Leland Riken here in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, 
all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Leland Riken. Among other things, he is now the author of A Treasury of Thanksgiving, Illustrated Poetry, Prose, and Praise. Leland, why don't we um, give folks a sample of, of what is in the book? Would you be willing to read to us from pages 152 and 153 the Thomas Akempis piece, Giving Thanks When Our Station in Life is Modest? Yes. Let me uh, give just a bit of context here. Uh, this is from The Imitation of Christ. That book, according to many sources, is next to the Bible, the most translated book in the world. I am the one who gave this excerpt the title, Giving Thanks When Our Station in Life is Modest. I happen to resonate that with that because I come from humble stock, and in fact, I self-identify right to the present day as the farm boy from Iowa. So here is Thomas Akempis writing on the subject, my heading, Giving Thanks When Our Station in Life is Modest. O Lord, grant me to be mindful of your benefits, both general and special, with great reverence and diligent meditation, that thus I may be able worthily to give you thanks. I know that I cannot render to you due thanks for even the least of your mercies. I am unworthy of all the good things that you have given me, and when I consider your majesty, my spirit fails. All things that we have in soul and body, and whatsoever things we possess, whether outwardly or inwardly, naturally or supernaturally, are your good gifts, and prove that you, from whom we have received all, are good, gentle, and kind. All things come from you. Therefore, in all things, you should be thanked. You know what is best to be given to each person. Why this person has less, and that more, is not for us, but for you to understand. Wherefore, O Lord God, I reckon it a great benefit not to have many things that bring praise and glory outwardly and after the thought of people. Nothing should, be so, nothing should so rejoice the one who loves you and knows your benefits as your will in him and the good pleasure of your eternal providence, wherewith he ought to be so contented and comforted that he would willingly be held of small and low account, rather than to be more honorable and greater in the world than others. For your will and the love of your honor ought to go before all things, and to please and comfort him more than all benefits that are given or may be given to himself. Be thankful, therefore, for the smallest blessing, and you shall be worthy to receive greater. For the least be unto you even the greatest. And let that which is of little account be unto you as a special gift. If the majesty of the giver be considered, nothing that is given shall seem small and of no worth. For that is not a small thing that is given by the Most High God. Whoever seeks to retain the favor of God needs to be thankful for the favor that is given and patient in respect of that which is taken away. Let him pray that it may return and be humble so that he not lose it. God is generous in giving us the grace of comfort, but people do ill in not giving God thanks for it. Thus, the gifts of grace are not able to flow unto us, 
because we are ungrateful to the author of them and do not return them wholly to the fountain from whence they flow. For grace always becomes the portion of him who is grateful, and God takes it away from the proud and gives it to the humble. The saints of God are those who ascribe to God all the good that they have received, and they desire that God shall be praised above all things. Therefore, give thanks to God for his grace. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Thank you so much. That is one of the entries in a treasury of thanksgiving, the illustrated poetry, prose, and praise. Um, The voice you heard, Leland Riken, also the the author, compiler, editor of the book. Um, Leland, um, can I ask you a different question about a different thing? Sure. (laughs) So... I think it's hard for some of us to imagine what the editor um, of a Bible would do and what the literary editor of a Bible would do. So can you explain to us, when you served as the literary editor of the ESV, like, what were you doing? It was a very easy job for a very simple reason. All of the translators were people of excellent literary and stylistic intuitions, They knew as much as I did. Now, it is true that I was the literary person, and all the others were people who knew Hebrew and Greek. They were biblical scholars. It was an easy job in as much as only occasionally did I emerge as the authority on a subject. They had excellent stylistic intuitions. I'll let you in on a secret. I served the committee best by being a generalist. That is, I was not a biblical scholar, and I asked questions that the biblical scholars didn't. So I served them very well by being, in effect, the educated general reader. Uh, It was a great experience. I enjoyed it. I think it's a bit honorary to single me out, as as the uh, propaganda for the translation does, as the literary stylist. That was my role, but I was more a generalist on the committee and, you know, kind of lent sanction to this or that decision, but the decision already, in effect, had been made by the committee. Well, thank you for your work. Um, For those of us who enjoy the ESV and rely upon it, um, just just a statement of gratitude. I I recognize um, the benefit that I receive from the labor of those who uh, translated and um, and then edited and then produced um, the ESV. And so thank you for that good work. I just wanted to express my gratitude to you. Um, You're welcome. It I, was a once-in-a-lifetime experience for me. And uh, so great. the wives went along to all the meetings, so they became a kind of uh, community of um, people, part of the, the process in a way. That's so cool. All right, well, let's um, let's give uh, let's give gratitude to God for... All his many gifts, and thank you um, for this conversation today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. That is Leland Riken. Um, we are grateful to God for this gift produced through his labor, a treasury of thanksgiving. For whom are you giving thanks to get today? Um, for what? Thank you to those of you who have uh, chimed in on the text line telling me some of the things that you have planned for Thanksgiving, the people you intend to share it with, the good things you intend to do, uh, Grandma Ruby's fresh orange cranberry relish that you intend to eat, um, the twice-baked sweet potato, that one sounds good, 
And yes, um, I'm just going to go ahead and say, if you're going to serve something gelatinous and it's not just jello, yes, I'm not eating that. That will be reserved all for you um, on the side dish, uh, side dish array. So what have you got planned for Thanksgiving? Um, and who's going to be at the table or where are you going? Maybe you're going to serve Thanksgiving to others um, who otherwise wouldn't have a meal. I'd love to know about that. You can always text me 877-933-2484. When we, um, when we think about Thanksgiving and we think about giving thanks to God from whom all blessings flow, um, I just want you to acknowledge all of the things that are on that list this year. And it might not be obvious at first because the things that might quickly come to mind are the losses or the grievances or um, the, the things where you have lack or need. Today, let's focus on what we do have. Let's focus on um, the gifts of God that flow so freely from the bounty of his grace. Let's give thanks to God on this day. Let's do so in prayers. Let's do so in praise. Let's do so in psalms of thanksgiving. Let's do so in acts of gratitude and in the sharing of God's goodness with others. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Stay tuned for hour two up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.